Attention, please. Places for top of show. Places for top of show. Hello, and welcome to Twins Talk Theater. We are Cindy and Stacy, and we're talking about theater, backstage life, and all the excitement that the audience doesn't get to see. Enjoy the show. Welcome to this week's podcast. Today we have on Tina Scariano, who I met a few weeks ago. Uh, she did my makeup for all of my new headshots, which hopefully people have seen. Made a big announcement last week. Um, so she was our makeup, my makeup artist for that. And while she was doing my makeup, we were just chatting and found out that she is also the managing director of Out of the Box Theatrics. She has her own podcast called Obsessed with the Best. Uh, she started out as a musical theater performer. And so she just kind of does all the things. So as we were talking, I was like, okay, well, now you just have to be on the podcast and tell everybody else your whole story because yeah, I find right? it so exciting. I don't think I so- know <laughs> makeup, makeup people who are also managing directors. I know. That's Plus you're like sweet. a female managing director in New York. Like you obviously have to be on the podcast because that's just an awesome thing to be. So yeah. welcome to our podcast, Tina. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, we'll ask you at the end how it is to be on somebody else's podcast and not. Be I know it's it's, weird to, it's a little strange to be on the other side, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> it is cool. So, how did you? Well, so you weren't born and raised in New York. You were born and raised somewhere else. So, how did you decide you wanted to do theater and then end up in New York? Gotcha. Okay. Well, I was born and raised in Billings, Montana. Uh, which is the largest city in Montana with about 100,000 people, a little over 100,000 people. So it's, you know, compared to New York City, it's quite small, um, <laughs> a little bit of a limited opportunity situation. We had a, a community theater, um, but I remember just being the first thing I ever wanted to be, you know, when you ask little kids, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? I would always say, I want to be a stand-up comedian. Even when I was just like a little tiny girl, I was like, I want to be a stand-up comedian. And so I that was my... I knew what that was until later in I, life. Because yeah. I was always getting up and saying, can I tell you a joke? Can I tell you a joke? Where I thought making people laugh was like the best thing I'd ever discovered in my whole life. And so when I realized that was something that you could get paid to do or people would, you know, hire you to do, I was like, I want to I do that. So then that kind of morphed into, well, I want to be a, I want to be a rock star. I want to be a superstar. And... Um, I always loved music and singing and um, I was, you know, one of the typical kids growing up of like, I played basketball and volleyball and took piano and, you know, all the extracurriculars and, you know, just trying to figure out what was best. But I was really like a, not serious, but I mean, I, I took sports pretty seriously. Like I was on um, like a varsity volleyball team in high school and we went to state a few times and that was sort of like the trajectory of my older sister. Um, but I was always like, but I want to sing and dance. But it was very difficult. My dad was like, you have plenty of time to sing and dance, but you can't play volleyball forever. So you, you have to play volleyball. And it was this big, huge debate all through high school. Cause I was like, I want to, I want to go to school for musical theater. And I fought and fought and fought. And finally I put together a flip chart. I had a giant flip chart with all the reasons why I should be allowed to quit volleyball and pursue my passion, which was theater. Did you do theater in high school? I did. So we didn't really have a theater department in our high school. It was like my freshman year, the English teacher was like, I want to do a musical. So like, let's make it happen. But we didn't, we didn't really have a department set up. And so I was like, well, I'll help you because I'd always just, I was just obsessed with it. I loved it. And I, you know, this is before YouTube and this is before everything was like at our fingertips. So I remember my first experience was watching the Macy's Day Parade 
Mm-hmm. And my mom, you know, the performers, my mom going, you know, that those people are on Broadway. Well, what's Broadway? It's a place where you sing and dance and do that that stuff. And I'm like, well, I want to do that. That's like, That's exactly what I want. <laughs> yes. And when I was in fifth grade, my very first play was The Wizard of Oz at the community theater. And I played a flying monkey. Good and job. Job. thank you so much. Um, but I was absolutely just in love. I loved the people. I loved the rehearsal. I loved the energy. The It was just like a dream come true. And I, I just automatically felt like this is where I need to be. Um, so yeah, by the time I got to high school, I fought, 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 fought. I had a presentation and I did my little slideshow with my flip chart and my dad said, okay, fine. Well, well, you can quit volleyball and pursue musical theater, but you know, I need, I need you to follow through on all these things. So we drafted up a contract. We, <laughs> Me we and my had dad. a contract with our dad too. It was on a napkin. No way. Okay. So I'm not the only one that had a dad that made contracts for you. Yeah, it was on a round table pizza napkin. <laughs> but we all had to sign it and it's dated and we still have it. That I, I says, still have that's it. amazing. Yeah. I wonder if my mom still has mine at her house. I wonder if it's somewhere floating around, but yeah, I had to, you know, meet all of these requirements if I was going to pursue this, this career. And I ended up going to college for musical theater. I went to Otterbein College, which it's now Otterbein University. Um, and I got my Bachelor of Fine Arts in musical theater. And it kind of is, the rest is history from there. I've, I've traveled a lot and I've worked on cruise ships. I've worked regionally. And it's always, has, you know, I quit the business for about a year and moved back to Montana and bought a house and tried to, you know, work retail and be a normal person and was like, I can't. I can't do it. I can't do it. So I sold everything and moved to New York and wow. got four roommates and <laughs> worked, worked my way back up. So it's been quite the journey. Sure, everybody wants to look at my dog. Oh my God, so cute. Uh, why? I'm kind of just jumping. Why did you decide to quit quit theater after you've done a bunch of things and moved back, back to Montana? Well, I was working for Disney Cruise Line. And I was on the ship and I was just, I was probably 25 or 26. And I had lived in in New York for about a year in my lifetime um, at that point, you know, so which is so long, you know, when you're 26, it's like, I live in New York, you know, I had no idea. But I I had lived in New York and I, I just really struggled. And I had this really sort of negative connotation around it because it was where I had my first breakup and I, you know, associated my breakup with New York and it was just a horrible time. So I, I thought, okay, well, I'm about to end this cruise contract. I don't want to go to New York. Maybe I'll just go home for a few months and sort of get my bearings. And and I just want security and to settle down and marry a nice cowboy and, you know, have a life and a family. And then I'm the kind of person that has to like go full out and like try everything and then fail miserably to go, oh, okay, so I don't want that. You're like, just kidding. That was a nice dream. Just kidding. But, uh, but like, if, I'm, if I like continue on and go, well, I could have gone home and I could have had this other life, then I always regret it later on. So now that I'm cho- I've chosen to come back to New York, which was about seven years ago, I came back and now I go, I'm not, I know I'm not missing anything because I, I did the thing. I went back and I know that that's not where I need to be. But I always would have wondered, you know, am I yeah. missing out? Am I, should I have gone home? But now I'm like, nope, this is exactly where I should be. Did you ever think of another city, like maybe Chicago, maybe LA, or was it just like, no, New York is, is I, it? Well, I had thought about Chicago, um, but what, what really happened was when I was living in Montana, I, I got a job at the Utah Shakespeare Festival. 
um, played Cosette in Les Mis. Um, and I had understudied Lily in the Secret Garden and done their internship program. And I was living in Montana and working retail. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to throw my hand in the ring for um, they were doing Into the Woods. And I always loved the role of Cinderella. And I auditioned for it and I got the job. And I ended up going for the summer and everything sort of kind of blew up. My parents got a divorce. Um, I met somebody in Utah who lived in New York and I came back and was like, I don't want to live in Montana. Um, this, there's, you know, sort of this tumultuous relationship with my parents going on. Like I, I met this guy. And so I was like, well, now's the time for New York. And all of my friends from school had my, had gone to New York as well. So I knew that I already had a friend base there. I knew I already had a community. I was familiar with it in some sense. I knew how to sort of get in um, as far as like a place to live and people I knew. So that's why it was New York. Um, but really I moved because I was following this guy out here. <laughs> Twin stayed out there because of a guy. Very useful. Well, yeah. Yeah. Not a bad, I, not a bad deal. I would definitely not still be here if it weren't for him because I, I don't necessarily like it here. Yeah. <laughs> it's not my favorite place, you know, but like it's where he was born and raised and it's where his whole family was. And, you know, we were so close once to like moving back to California and we were like, okay, well, we could split our time because I had a job offer in California <laughs> for six months. And we we're like, we could do California and back and forth. It was so freaking close. And then he got the job at sanitation and we're mm. like, well, now we're stuck in New York for 19 years. So, yeah. Well, at least, at least you got a dog finally. I did. <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so it totally makes sense. Guy, you, you know, you do. Stuff. I know. And yeah. I'm, I'm really glad, you know, our relationship didn't work out, but I do think it was the reason that I, I was supposed to end up here. And I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, because it seems like, you know, you've only gone uphill from there. Like, yeah, <laughs> so many things. So how did you go from acting? Because it seems like you've been acting, acting, acting to managing director and makeup artist. Yeah. OK, so, you know, I got to New York, back to New York um, and I was doing all the you know typical side jobs. I was working retail. I was catering. I was babysitting. I was doing any sort of odd job just to make ends meet. Like literally every theater person's job in New York City. Yes. Yes. The one yeah, thing I didn't do. Babysitting, retail. Yeah. I didn't work at a restaurant. That's the one thing I, I've never uh, worked right. in a restaurant, but I catered. I did a lot of catering work, um, babysitting. And uh, I was doing all of that. And then I was also going to the open calls all the time at, at the, I'm, I am part of the union, part of the actors equity union. So I was going to the actors equity calls, going to auditions and just really not feeling fulfilled. And it was really hard on my psyche and my soul. And as I knew I was getting, I was approaching 30 and I was going, gosh, I just, I can't seem to like get a stride. I wasn't working consistently. It was just really difficult. And then, um, in 2018, my, in the fall, my father passed away and that sort of was the catalyst for, I mean, it, I know it sounds probably very cliche, but I sort of realized what's important in life and like it, life's too short to be miserable. And I got back to New York. I was, I had just gotten home from my dad's funeral and I got one of the biggest auditions of my life. 
Um, and so I said, I flew back to New York for it and got a call back and did the whole thing. And I didn't get booked the show. And I thought I didn't even have fun at the audition. I didn't, I was hoping that I would get it, but only because of how it would look to my friends and my teachers at college. And I didn't really want the job. I it just didn't feel fulfilling, fulfilling. And I thought, okay, well, what do I want? I want security. I want to be creative. I want to be in charge of my life. I want to be able to make decisions about where I, cause I was like, I know I have potential. I know that I have creative talent. I want to be in charge of where I put that energy instead of being beholden to the casting directors and the agents and being told I'm not good enough or I'm just like everybody else or whatever. I was like, I need control. I want control of my life. So um, I've, I have been in therapy for a very long time and with the help of my therapist. <laughs> it's okay. How many of us have not been in therapy for a very long time? Oh my time? God. I yeah. mean, right? <laughs> the best thing you can do for yourself, get into therapy. Um, but we came up with a, a, a plan essentially. And I, I sort of was like, all right, who has the life, who has the life on social media that I think I want? I'm looking at these people on social media. Okay. Who, who do I think has a better life than me? Is kind of how I thought of it. And I thought, well, this person has a stable job. Let me see if I can take them to coffee. So I spent the whole month of February of 2019, um, contacting people who I thought had stable jobs or did jobs that maybe I would like, or looked like they made a lot of money or had one of the things I was trying to check off security, uh, financial stability, a creative job. And I took them all to drinks or I bought them coffee. And I just said, what do you do? How did you start? Do you like it? Are you happy? Do you have any regrets? Do you, and a lot of them had been, you know, former performers or were still performing. And I just sort of laid the groundwork and, People were going, oh, you know who you should meet is this person. You know who you should meet is this person. You should meet this person. Maybe you want to get into producing. Would you want to do producing? And well, I don't know. What does that mean? So go meet this person. Go meet this person. And I ended up getting an internship with um, a major commercial Broadway producer um, as his personal assistant. And I did that short term for a few months and learned so much and learned that's not what I want to do, <laughs> which I, you know, it's very, a great tactic too. is like, do something and go, Oh, I don't want to do that. Okay. Next. Nope. I don't want to do that. Great. I never look at it like, Oh, I wasted three months. It was like, no, I learned a lot. And I learned that that's not where I want to be. That's just and as important as where you're trying to go. Yeah. It's what you exactly, don't Exactly. Um, so while I was doing all this leg work and just meeting people and networking and still catering, still babysitting, still doing all that stuff. Um, I thought, okay, well, I'm no longer going to actively pursue performing. If, if an opportunity came to me, great, I'll do that. But um, I then had an email from the founding producing artistic director of Out of the Box, Liz Fleming. And she, it was sort of a mass email saying, we're looking for we're looking for some volunteers to help with our theater company. Um, we're trying to fundraise. We're trying to, um, it was a, it was a pretty new company at that point. And I had worked with out of the box um, a couple of years previously. I played Christina Crawford in their uh, musical of mommy dearest, the musical written by Christina Crawford, which was very cool. Um, so that's how I got associated with out of the box. And I thought, well, great. What a great opportunity. I'm going to go volunteer at this theater company. So I said, Liz, do you want like a, an intern? I'll be your, your gopher for the summer. And you just tell me what to do and I'll go do it. And I, I want to know what it takes to run a theater company. Maybe I want to run a theater company. And she was like, oh my God, great. Yes, please. <laughs> no one ever volunteers to do that. <laughs> Seriously. So I was like, I'll do any of the errands you need run or whatever. And 
a couple weeks later, she said, hey, do you want to stage manage a show for me? And I said, well, I've never stage managed before. And she went, well, it's a one-person show. And it's really just some paperwork. We've already staged the show previously. So you basically would have to come in, write the reports, and you'd get paid equity salary. It would, And I'll kind of show you how to do it. And I was like, well, I mean, sure, if you think I, I can. Well, it ended up being the pink unicorn with Tony Award-winning Alice Ripley that I was stage managing my first ever off-Broadway show suddenly after I was like, I'll volunteer at this theater company. And Liz was like, yeah, sure, you can do that. Because she's just a, a the kind of person, which is so great. She's the kind of person that's like, is met with a challenge or or gets an opportunity and just goes, yep, I can do that. Even if she's never done it before. Or even if, and she just was like, no, I have so much faith in you. And I believe in you so much that you can absolutely do this. I'll walk you through it. I'll teach you how to do it. And we'll get you to do this. So I stage managed um, the pink unicorn and I fell in love with it. I loved being behind the scenes. I loved being in charge of everybody's schedule. I loved, um, you know, writing the, writing the reports and, and just being on the other side and being on all the emails and the rehearsal reports. And I just thought it was so cool. And Liz and I sort of, you know, fostered this relationship and she asked me to help out with an, another production that they were doing that winter. And by the end of that production, she said, you know, we have a space on our staff. We're looking for a managing director and I think it should be you. And I was like, I don't know how to do that. I, I don't even, I, only just this year learned how to do a spreadsheet. She's like, I'll walk you through it. <laughs> she was, I'm because she was the managing director for another theater. She said, I'll show you how to do it. I know what I need from you as a managing director. I'll show you how to do it. I'll walk you through it. Um, and we'll make it work. And I was like, oh, okay. If you think I can do, I mean, I'm so super, super, super fortunate that these opportunities really did fall into my lap, which I know is not typical. Um, but at the same time, you just said that you spent like a month taking a million people out to coffee and drinks and like making those connections. So as much as people are like, it fell into my lap. It's also like, but I also put in five years of work to like, you yes. know, it's such a... Yes. And I mean, that whole year, 2019, I was like working a million jobs. I'm now working a million jobs, but there are a million jobs that I love. Um, <laughs> you know, meanwhile, okay, so side note. So that's the managing director story going that way. Meanwhile, there's like the makeup artist life happening. That's kind of bubbling and budding while I'm babysitting, while I'm catering, while I'm selling my soul and like papering in Times Square. And it was in 2017. I was in a show. Well, I lovingly refer to 2017 as 2017 because it was the year after my breakup. And so I was like, it's 2017. It is my year. This is my Tina's year. We're going to make this a good year. And so lots of things started. Um, and I was in a show off Broadway and I'd always growing up done my friend's hair and makeup. My mom was a makeup artist. I was always, friends would come over and I would do their hair for prom or I would do their makeup for prom or whatever. And so it was always something that was in my family. We always loved makeup. I always loved makeup. And I was in a show and my friend was like, Hey, can you do my eyebrows for the show tonight? Hey, can you do my eyeshadow? Pretty soon I was like doing her whole hair and makeup before the show and she was like, you know, you should, you should do this as a, as a side job. And I was like, again, this seems to be my, my go-to phrase. I'm like, I don't have any experience in doing that. I don't know how to do that, which has been how I now have all my jobs. But I was like, I don't know how to do that. I don't have any qualifications. I have zero qualifications for that. And she was like, well, go get a certification. There's courses. Like you can go and get certified. And I was like, you can. 
And so I did some research and I found this program and it was like a speed through course where I was like, let me just go see if I can do this month long intensive and see if it's like makes sense for me. And I went and it was like the first week and I was like the annoying student in class who was like raising their hand, knowing how to do everything. And I knew about the color wheel and the application and the brands. And I was just like, I was like, this is my forte. I love this. This makes so much sense. And so I got like, well, I actually do know what I'm doing in this area. This is awesome. I was like, I actually do kind of know what I'm doing. This is okay. Cool. Um, so I got, I got my certification. This was like in August of 2017, got my certification, got my, you know, thousands of dollars kit put together. And like, I was like, okay, great. I mean, just throwing all this money as an investment into my future. And then I booked a cruise contract. So I was like, so I guess I'm not going to be a makeup artist. I'm an actor again. I was like so wishy-washy. I was like, okay, great. I'm going to be an actor. I'm going to be an actor. I'm going to go on this cruise ship and, you know, but I am a makeup artist on the side. And so I went and did Disney Cruise Line again. And it was really, really a cool contract. I loved it. I got to understudy Elsa in Frozen, the musical, and sing Let It Go in front of, you know, 2,500 people. And it was just really fun. Every week for months. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't get to do Elsa every week for months, but I, but a couple of times I went on and it was really great. And, you know, you're in the Caribbean and you're just getting paid to travel and it's awesome. So I, I did that and I got off the ship and I was like, okay, back to catering, back to babysitting, back to, you know, the, all of that stuff. And then I, it was like, I'd been back for a couple of weeks and someone, our friend from college, who's a photographer reached out and said, Hey, you're, you're a makeup artist now. Right. And I said, I mean, I went and got a certificate, but I don't know. He goes, I have a shoot and I need someone like I, nobody's available. I need somebody to come do makeup. And I was like, I've never done, I've never done that before. I've never been paid <laughs> to do someone's makeup. And I was like, Oh, okay, sure. So I went having no idea what I was doing, but my roommate at the time, who is now my podcast co-host. Alex Ferrara. Ah, she was okay. a makeup artist um, for a long time. And I was like, Alex, I got this job. And I just said, yes, but I have no idea what I'm doing. And she went, you go in there and you act, you fake it till you make it. You act like you are, you know, exactly what you're doing. And you show up and you just have the answers for everything. You think on your feet. She goes, I know that's something that you're really good at is thinking on your feet and, you know, problem solving. And I was like, yeah, okay, I can do that. And I went and it was so fun and it was so great and it was easy and I was sweating bullets. But afterwards <laughs> I was like, I just made 75 whole dollars. And like, that was amazing. And, and I was like, okay, well, I don't want to, I don't want this to be my full-time job because I love it so much. I just want this to be kind of like in my peripheral. Cause I didn't want to like commit to it. Cause I was scared that I would stop loving it or something. Right. Once you make it like a job, then all of a sudden it's not fun anymore. Yes. So I was like turning down jobs and I was just like, oh, I'm not available. I have to cater that day. Oh, I'm not available. I'm babysitting. And then, and I had this, like this uh, photographer friend of mine who was just really persistent. She was like, okay, are you available this day? Well, how about this day? Well, how about this day? And finally she just kept booking me and booking me and booking me. And I got better and better and better and worked more and more and more and started adding more photos to my Instagram. and really like in 2020, which sounds crazy. It was like the end of 2019, the makeup business kind of blew up 2020 hit with the pandemic, but I was like working, working, working consistently. And I went back to work though, for makeup stuff in like June of 2020. And I've been working nonstop because everyone's 
redoing their headshots and their um, portfolios and their websites. And it's really because of social media and word of mouth that I have been as successful as I have been. And, you know, one thing led to another. And before I know it, I'm doing Alice Ripley's makeup, you know, for her own headshots. And I'm like, I just stage managed you last year in a show. And now I'm doing your makeup for this show. And now you're sitting in the audience of my show. It was just, it was all <laughs> like very serendipitous and very cool. So that's the makeup artist version story. It's like two complete full-time jobs that you're doing on top of each other. I'm like, wait, how does this, but you said you were, what? I know. I don't know how I'm, I don't really know how I'm doing it, but I was able to quit all of those other jobs and, you know, create a living based on solely creative work, which has been like the biggest amazing accomplishment. And I'm super, super proud of that. And kind of threw a Make a living. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the pandemic, it was crazy because I I had really said no more performing. Like I'm not going to seek it out. I'm I'm switching to backstage kind of stuff. And, and I picked up my guitar, um, which I got when I was 16. My dad got for my 16th birthday. And of course it just, I it went to college with me. It went on all of my jobs with me and I never learned it. I never, ever learned it. And I'd always go get it okay, well, this is the year I'm going to do it. I'm going to get it restrung and tuned up and the whole thing. And I learned C chord and then I'd quit. It was just too hard. And my hand was cramping and blah, blah, blah. Well, then the pandemic hit and I was like, well, I don't have a piano. I miss singing. I, I have this really funny idea for a song. I was like Carly Simon singing anticipation, but changing the words to self-isolation right when the <laughs> pandemic hit. And I was like, I, cause I was just going loopy. And so I was like, I'm going to learn these chords to, you know, and just do the strumming and whatever. Well, long story short, over about three months, I like learned how to play the guitar and wrote all of these corn tunes that were parodies of other songs. And I, you know, me and my three chords are like strumming along. But by August of last year, I had a whole one woman show built and I got to <laughs> perform it last August in or last September in Homedale, New Jersey at the Homedale Theater Company. And I got to do um, songs like James Taylor songs and Carly Simon and Joni Mitchell and Dolly Parton, Whitney Houston, and then like a few corn tunes in there. And it was really great. So I was like total silver lining. I get to, I was asked to be a performer after on my own terms, you know, with my own show, with my own talents that I felt comfortable with. And I wasn't trying to fit into somebody's box. It was like, no, we see you. We like what you're doing and we want you for this thing. So yeah, that's, that's the performer part. And that's still happening. (laughs) This is is why I was like, you need to be on our podcast because these stories are just so awesome. I'm so glad you feel that way. Cause I'm like, I just took every weird road to get to wherever I am, but yeah, but are. that quarantine, I, um, you know, mastered putting pre-made fingernail polish on. Um, <laughs> Great skill to have. Great yeah, skill. Very useful. Um, totally I've slept, is. I've slept a lot. Oh, I'm getting really good at sourdough bread. Now that's one thing I have not done. I know, I haven't either. And I'm very jealous of that. I wish I, I, wish I did that. See? So, uh, you know, you learn guitar and had a one-person show, and I just keep... <laughs> Handing out sourdough bread to everybody around me, be like, "So I added three cheeses this time. How do you like this one?" <laughs> totally, totally equivalent. I actually prefer the bread. I think that sounds great. <laughs> uh, that's excellent. Okay, uh, how as the manager?
managing director of a theater and then going almost straight into a pandemic, what has what has the theater been doing during the pandemic? Well, I will say out of the box theatrics has I I feel confident saying this has really pioneered the the digital theater scene. Our leader, our artistic director, Liz Fleming, at the very beginning, we had us because uh, we we were slated to to reopen and our show that we had we were extending this really successful run of Baby, the musical that we did off Broadway in December, and we were in talks to do an off Broadway another off Broadway run and all and we had everything signed up. We paid all our rights. We were ready to go, and then the shutdown happened. And I sort of was like, "Wow, okay, my first month on the job." And it's, I guess we're not, I guess the theater's gone and I guess I won't work. And she had a staff meeting with us and she was like, no, here's the thing. People are talking about digital theater and we're going to be right there every step of the way, making it happen. We're not taking a break. We let's get a new work season up. Let's um, let's reach out to our friends. Does anybody know anything about online streaming? Let's we're going to, we're going to be following along because I do not want a year to go by and for us not know to know how to get in into the circuit. So that was really her. And she was incredible because I was really sort of resistant at first. I was like, no, let's just take it off and watch movies. And like, I don't want to work. And but it's she was like, no, be got- like a couple weeks, right? They yeah, like I thought and we're good. Yes, I seriously was like, in a couple weeks, we'll be back. Like, don't worry about it. But no, she was really insistent that we did that. And we ended up creating so much amazing digital work. We did a full production, a full, we were one of the first theater companies to get an equity contract, a work, a remote work contract. Um, We were able to do a fully, well, not staged, a virtual production of You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown last year on an equity contract, an off-Broadway equity contract. It was all filmed. We were all in our homes. Um, I played Snoopy in that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and we were all filming from our from our homes and we had this amazing editor Alan Waters of Dimly Wit Productions he edited it all together and we streamed it and we just continued to be digital and digital and digital and then um we had some act- uh, some actors approach us some Broadway actors approach us last fall and said you know we we are really interested in doing a, a production of the last five years which I don't know if you're familiar with that show but it's yep. two Two people. Okay, great. Two, Two people, people. Um, in their in a relationship. One starts at the beginning, one starts at the end, and they sort of meet in the middle. And very t- typically, it's done by two white people. Um, that's sort of the the typical casting. And these are two um, two black performers in the Broadway world, and they were like, "We want to turn this on its head. We want to change the story and make this." our story. We want to tell our story of the last five years. I so This is so random. I've been seeing this on social media the last couple of weeks and thought it sounded super cool. It's Not so knowing good. at all that we were going to be talking to you today. Yes. So we produced <laughs> social media. We hired, a, we hired an essentially all BIPOC creative team. Um, we've got Jason Michael Webb as our director and musical director. He is a Tony Award winner. Um, we had just an incredible crew, an incredible cast. And so I was managing director for this theater company. So here I am, you know, making the schedule, writing everybody's checks, running payroll. 
And then I also did makeup for it. So I was on set every day <laughs> doing makeup for it, you know, and it's crazy. That makes it so easy for like production crew. They're like, oh, just like, let me go check with the uh, managing director. She's in the other room. <laughs> I was like, guys, do we need pizza? I've got the credit card. <laughs> yes. Just let me finish this person's eyeshadow and then we'll be yeah, ready. And then it. I'll be right there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was amazing. It was crazy because we had to jump through so many hoops with the actors union with, there was a time when we thought maybe we'll go SAG-AFTRA. Um, I mean, it was, it was a lot of work and a lot of red tape and a lot of COVID tests. And it, I mean, a lot of sanitation and just things that you normally didn't have to think about pre pandemic, you know, get and making sure everybody has a negative COVID test before they get there and then getting tested every single day. And, you know, having, we could only have a certain amount of people in the room at a time and we had to have ventilation and we, everyone had to be masked. And I mean, it was, it was crazy, but we shot a full feature film in four days in an apartment in Midtown and it turned out incredible. And we, it's getting a lot of great, tonight's actually um, the last night. It's it, tonight's March 28th and it's the last night of the run. We're completely sold out, which Sounds crazy that you'd be sold out of a live of a virtual event, but because of licensing, because of the actors' union, you're only allowed to sell so many tickets, which is so frustrating because we would have sold a million tickets if we could. Um, but I, you know, I can't say much, but I feel like this isn't the last we've seen of the last five years. Yeah, I mean, and I'm it's in California and I've been seeing it on social media and I was like, that's cool because, yeah, like you said, I've only ever seen white people do it. And yeah. I usually haven't gone to see the play because I'm like, uh, it's last five years. Like, I know some of the music and it's yep. good and whatnot, but that's so cool. It's this really cool. Yeah. OK, I have to look up that more. Yeah, you do. Uh, it's really, really it wonderful. Because it's closing night, but. Uh, <laughs> well, maybe you can watch it, it later. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like <laughs> you guys have now the thing about like selling out is now you could drum up even more interest and be like, oh, we're sold out. Oh, tickets are, you know, at a premium because nobody else can get tickets, you know, and then yes. go back to equity and be like, hey, can we extend this? Yes. <laughs> Which I mean, we are. I mean, by the time this episode airs, I feel like we hopefully will have heard back about if we can extend or not from equity. So like that's the that's the hope we, we would like to extend. Yeah. That would be amazing. Yeah. And great for those actors who are like, yeah, we're in a pandemic. Let's reach out to these people, see if we can do a show. And now yeah. like, it's getting all over the place. That's really cool. Yeah. It's really cool. We're super proud of it. And it's just, it's kind of blown up. And yeah, we're really, really proud of it. But that, I mean, that was all because we were staying really relevant in the social media world, in the uh, you know, producing online content, making all the mistakes you could possibly make, <laughs> you know, we made them all. And so by the time we got to this, we were like, okay, we kind of know what's going on a little bit. <laughs> let's, let's, you know, see if we can do this next thing. Let's keep growing. So now that the pandemic is starting to ease up a little bit, knock on wood, I know Broadway's getting, uh, pushing to get people vaccinated and all that. Do you guys think you will go back to being completely live or do you think you'll do a mixture of live versus social media now that you guys have kind of mastered some social media stuff? Yeah, I mean, we've had conversations on that and it's always it's changing every staff meeting of like what's what's now? What can we do now? But I mean, the goal we're still looking ahead. We're still looking ahead with our season. 
the goal is to get back to live theater. Um, get back because another mission of Out of the Box is to do site specific theater. We always like to find an apartment in the town or an empty warehouse or a church basement or wherever it is that the story might need to take place. We want to go find that space and have people immersed in it. And that's hard to do over Zoom, you know, so we we really miss that component. So we've talked about doing sort of a hybrid thing where it's like, okay, can we hire actors, put them in the space and film it live? Can we do this feature film thing? Okay, great. So it's really up in the air. But our goal, what we we want to get back to live theater and and do it. But I think it will be sort of a hybrid until until we get to that point. What's what I've heard from performers who have done so many live things and even live stream things is that you just you don't get that same feel from the audience. Like you don't get that reaction. And I know someone even a couple months ago in, in Germany who did this like live stream concert. And he was like, we did it all in real time. We were wearing our concert attire. It was, you know, the full on thing. He was like, but it was so weird because you felt like it was a dress rehearsal because there was like yeah. zero people in the audience. He was like, you had no reaction, you know? Yeah. So, so many people I know are like, no, we want to go back live. And like you said, even if it's live and you stream half of it, or, you know, you only have 25% capacity. Mm-hmm. like. We just need that physical reaction. Yeah, and I feel like, sadly, I haven't watched so many shows online because I feel like I just i I want to experience it with other people, yeah. and I don't want to stare at it on this little like eighteen by eighteen inch screen. You know, like yeah, I want I want it to be like in my face, kind right? Of thing. Because that's when I mean, we have movies for the screen. Yeah. And that's a yeah. different thing than live theater. Live theater is a very specific energy. It's a it's a very immersive experience, and you can't replicate it on a on a screen. Yeah, and half the time when they say live, it's not even live. It's like you yeah. know, recorded yesterday and edited. I don't want to edit exactly. it. Exactly. You you know, miss the words and forget to sing that. Yes. Note. <laughs> yes. Well, hopefully that's happening this year. I have faith. I have faith that we'll get back to a little bit of of normalcy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's starting to open up a little bit around here. I mean, I'm more in movies and entertain that side of entertainment now. But uh, even like uh, a couple days ago, I was at the Long Beach Playhouse and we were cleaning things up in hopes that in a couple months we will have audience members. So there's hope. Awesome. There's hope. Excellent. Oh, that'll be so nice. I'll be like, yeah. what? Working full days? What is that? I know, right? <laughs> it's sitting in my bedroom all day. So Danielle, my friend Danielle and I were just talking because uh, we start a show tomorrow. She was like, I don't know. I'm kind of liking this early retirement life. I mean, I can like get up and just hang out on the couch, respond to emails when I want to, take my dog on a three-hour walk. She's like, I'm not sure how I feel about going back to rehearsal. And I was like, I know I'm so used to now like working on my own terms, kind of like you said, like as a, you know, as a director of production or a managing director, you know, like. I have a whole bunch of work to do, but like I can respond to emails whenever, you know, right. like one of my is dangerous, that could be too super dangerous because suddenly risky. you're responding to emails at 10 o'clock at night and you're like, wait a minute, I have no boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just do this. My artistic, the artistic director I'm working with, he was like, so I realized that you're a night person and I'm a morning person. And I was like, oh, right. Cause I was sending you emails until midnight last night. And then all uh-huh. of his responses started coming in at 5am this morning. Cause that's when he got up. <laughs> Yeah. Right. But you know, that's just, 
And I was like, yeah, but you know, I, we can do that right now, which is, you know, which is kind of awesome. But yeah. also when I'm in rehearsals, like we rehearse in the evenings usually, you know, yeah. like, especially in opera, you don't schedule rehearsals at six o'clock in the morning. You barely do them at like 11 o'clock in the morning. Right. So of course yes. I work in the evening. That's what people at yeah, my like, job are like, can you get here early? And I'm like, oh, what's early? They're like eight. And I was like, no. that, is, that is a little bit early. I've been rolling around <laughs> 10. How about yeah. rolling around 10? Yeah, 10. Not always. 10 a good time. I, that's, I think 10 a great time because I'm only working 32 yeah. hours a week. And so I'm like six hours a day, six and a half hours a day, done. Why do I want to get there at eight? That's sleeping. No, that is sleeping time. I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I want to ask about your podcast because we have yeah. a podcast and you have Wait. a podcast. So yes, what is your podcast? Um, okay, so that was another quarantine baby that happened in quarantine. Um, <laughs> my former roommate and one of my good friends now, Alex Ferrara, um, she and I started a podcast. And how that came about is sort of an interesting story too because it was – the shutdown, or I guess it was a couple weeks before the shutdown. And Alex had, she wanted to start a YouTube channel. She was like, you know what? I'm going to start talking about beauty and wellness and, and things. I'm going to create some YouTube channel content. Would you consider coming on my channel and we'll do a video and you'll talk about being a makeup artist and you know, all that stuff. I said, yeah, sure. So we had it in the calendar um, for a Thursday evening. I was going to go over there and do it. And then the lockdown happened. And she was like, well, I mean, I still would love to talk to you. Do you want to just like hop on Instagram live and talk and whoever shows up, shows up. And we just pick, we each pick three things that, that we love and we'll talk about them. And I was like, yeah. So I poured a glass of wine and um, I don't even think I had a ring light at this point. Now I've got like three ring lights and a tripod and it's just like ridiculous. But at the time I was just like, I just flipped on all my lights and like had a glass of wine and picked three things. And I was like, these things are just giving me life. I love them. They're bringing me joy, lockdown, blah, blah, blah. And we just hit it off for about a half an hour. And then we got such great feedback. Everyone was like, will you guys do that next Thursday? That was so fun. What a great way to spend quarantine. And so we just started showing up every Thursday on Instagram live. And we had no graphics. We had no intentions of a podcast, nothing. And we've been doing it for a few months and we would just show up every Thursday with three. It was called at first we called it was called Alex and Tina's favorite things because we'd get on there. We just say, what's bringing you joy this week? What's making your life easier? What's making you happy in this quarantine? How are you getting by? And each night the show would open and it would be the first responder applause. So you'd hear that like as we were starting, cause it was like seven o'clock. So you'd hear the pots banging and the applause and okay, welcome to Alcantina's favorite things. And we'd start this show. And then the guy that I spoke about earlier, Alan Waters with Dimly Wit Productions, who produced your good man, Charlie Brown for out of the box theatrics. He kept seeing my posts. I would sort of, we recap, you know, what we'd talked about the night before or post little snippets of the show that we had talked about. And he said, Hey, he got in touch with me. He said, Hey, would you ever consider turning this into a podcast? And I was like, sure. We, but we don't know. We, again, we don't know how to do that. We've never done that before. Yeah, we don't have any, <laughs> <laughs> we were like, we don't want to do any of the technical stuff. He's like, well, I produce podcasts. My company produced podcasts. You don't, all you have to do is just get me the footage and we'll I'll edit it and I'll get it up for you and we'll make a deal and we'll, we'll do it. You want to do it? And I said, well, let me talk to Alex. And we were like, yes, let's do it. So we were like, let's make a podcast. And it's been a lot of trial and error because neither one of us had any experience. And 
it really started taking off. We started filming our live shows and putting those on Apple and Spotify. And as it, as we grew followers, as we got sort of more attention and more um, success with it, we thought, you know, we want to expand what we're talking about. We, cause we'd go off on tangents, you know, other than beauty projects or beauty, beauty products or movies or whatever. We were like, no, but I also want to talk about social justice and women's rights and um, you know, the things that are happening in our world. So we we're like, that doesn't really encompass favorite things doesn't encompass that. How do we, how do we branch out? How do we make that bigger? How do we expand? So we had a brainstorming meeting and we poured our favorite wine, the Oyster Bay Sauvignon Blanc. And we just, we, over the phone, we're like, okay, let's back and forth, back and forth. What are, like, and we were thinking of, we want the best of the best, the best things, favorite besties, best. And we just were like bouncing <laughs> thing. And I, at one point just went upset. We're obsessed. Like we're so obsessed. Or that was the word that we kept getting that we say a lot on our podcast. People were like, you guys say obsessed that you're obsessed with things a lot. And I was just like halfway through my glass of wine was like, we're obsessed with the best. Like we're just obsessed with the best things. Obsessed, with, obsessed with the best. Obsessed. And we both were like, obsessed with the best. That's it. That's it. That's obsessed with the best. And then we just took off and we scheduled a photo shoot and we hired graphic designers and we rebranded our whole thing. And in January, we came out with season two of Obsessed with the Best with Alex and Tina. And we interviewed, um, we've got some big interviews coming up this season, which we're really excited about. One, I can't talk about just yet, but it's going to be really <laughs> great. But we interviewed um, the uh, a TV actress, Shakina Nafak, who is one of the first uh, trans actors to book a lead role in a network TV show. on NBC. She was in um, NBC's Difficult People, and she also did Connecting on on NBC, which was which happened over the pandemic. So we chatted with Nikina, or Nikina, Shakina, <laughs> and um, we also chatted with this woman who was the inventor of the Yarlap, which is a device to help women with their Kegel muscles. <laughs> so we talked with her, and we talked about women's health and your pelvic floor, and we learned all about pelvic floor. And so we're we've been able to you know continue with our favorite beauty products, talk about that you know our favorite books, our favorite TV shows, but we're also getting into women's health, women's mental health, um, and expanding our brand so that we can just create this really joyful um, conversation around women's health. That is excellent because especially during, I mean, I know everybody has issues and stuff all the time, but I feel like the pandemic has really pushed a lot of us to just not know. <laughs> yeah. That sounds weird, but like, uh, well, speaking for Cindy and I, we work and we work a lot. Yeah. And so we've never really had much downtime because we're always doing 15 different shows and a hundred hours and everything. Then the pandemic hit and both of us were like, uh, you want to restart the podcast? Cause like I've been sitting at home for a week Yeah, and, uh, yeah, you want to do something. And a lot of my friends are like having more issues trying to figure out who they are and deal with their own stuff because we don't have work and everything else to distract us. And we can't go hang out with friends and I can't just go to Disneyland for the day because it's closed and I can't go mm -hmm. out to dinner because it's closed and I can't go see friends because nobody's allowed to see each other. And so, yeah, I think that's great to talk about, you know, just stuff that isn't necessarily pandemic related, but just women's health and trans people on TV. Thank God. Let's, mm -hmm. let's get more people out there doing right? that. Right. 
Yes. And we want to just, one of our things is we were very, very curious. We're very similar, Alex and I, you know, she was a makeup artist and she's an actress as well. And we've got a very sort of similar trajectory, but we are, we are very different. We've got very different tastes and opinions and, and it was just really important to us that we we're always our, each other's touchstones of like, well, what are you doing this week about this? Or I've got this issue. What do you think? Or, um, you know, I, I bounced a bunch of ideas off of her with my business, my makeup business the other day. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm thinking about rolling these things out. What do you think? And so she's just like this touchstone person and I'm the same for her. And we wanted to expand that and open that up to other women to be like, if we're wondering about these things, I bet a lot of other people are too. So let's <laughs> yes. like shed some light on that. And like, let's optimize this one amazing life that we are given and make it easier and more joyful for, for everybody. So that's what was, we're working on. <laughs> I was thinking when you were talking, Stacey, and this kind of goes back to, I don't remember if this was before the podcast or not, when we were talking about, uh, I think it was during the podcast, but like having a therapist, you know, but it's all of a sudden we all had to find different coping mechanisms yeah. than what we had before, you know, because sadly, but I think a lot of people in our position, like my coping mechanism for so many things was, well, I'm just going to go focus on work. Yeah. Like, I don't want to focus on these, these problems that I'm having. I don't want to focus about something sad. I don't want to focus on, you know, my mother-in-law's death. I'm just going to go to work and that's mm-hmm. where I'm going to throw all my focus. And then also now, like I, that was, I couldn't, that wasn't my coping mechanism anymore. Like I had nothing to go focus on. And I was just like laying in my bed being like, well, what the fuck am I supposed to do now? Like I can't, I don't have my release. And so um, therapy has been a great thing. And and so many people I know have been talking about that, you know, all of a sudden you're just like, well, I got to find another way to cope. That does not work. Yes. Another outlet. My life has been focused around work. That's been my whole trajectory since high school is, you know, this is what I want to do with my life. And now that's not, I can't define myself. Well, I can't again, but you know, in the beginning I was like, okay, well, if I'm not a stage manager, cause I'm not stage managing, like, what am I? Yes. Like total identity crisis. I feel like total there was, a ma- I mean, cause I, for so many years had said, well, I'm an actor, I'm an actor, I'm an actor. And then I went, well, I'm not an actor. What am I? And it was, I was, it was so important to me to get my hyphenates in my Instagram bio. Like, what am I, actor, singer, you know, I'm not a dancer. So that's not, I wanted my three titles. I didn't want to be like babysitter, caterer, caterer, and retail worker. Retail worker. I wanted like, okay, what's my identity? And now I'm like, I'm an artist. I'm a creative. I'm a makeup artist. I am a singer. I am a managing director. And I was like, I'm a podcast host. And, but I mean, a year ago I was like face down on my, living room floor being like, yes. I don't know my first name. I I couldn't have, yeah. I had no identity. And I think that happened to a lot of people where it was really like ground, like starting from zero and going, okay, well, my identity is wrapped up in the arts or the job that I have. And now it's gone. So now, so now what? And the losing connection with people. Like yeah. at the playhouse the other day, cleaning, I think half the people who showed up to do maintenance around the playhouse were just like, I have not seen any of my fellow actors or theater people in a year and a half. And so half the time people were just like, Oh my God, I haven't seen you. What have you been doing? When are we going to start again? What's going on? And it was just like, Oh my God, thank you. Like people I was used to seeing on a regular basis for years. Suddenly I followed on Facebook, but like no actual talking to really. Right. And so that was another big thing, just like, oh, well, I've seen Sean every week. 
and that's it. <laughs> now there was like no. 20 people on stage that everyone was just excited to talk to. Social distance. We all had our mask on. Half of them had been vaccinated. Half of us had not. But it was still like, yay, we're standing yes. on stage talking. Exactly. <laughs> you just can't replicate that kind of in-person energy. Yeah. Unless yeah. you're in person. You just can't replicate it. Yeah. So that was also another big thing. Like, how do I keep friends when I can't actually see friends? There's always right. a screen between us. Also, also, I'm face down on my bed or on the floor. So that's hard to keep friends. Yes. <laughs> no, I just don't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. So I'm assuming you're planning to keep this podcast going because it's so awesome. Yeah. Do you plan to keep managing director and makeup artist? Because, you know, we're all creative people were like, well, I'm just going to do all 10 things at the same time when the pandemic picks up again. I know, you know, I, it's it, hard I, to tell. I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that because it's just, it's so up in the air right now and fluid. And I'm just, I'm throwing everything against the wall. And in, as I've mentioned, you know, with all these stories, it's sort of, everything sort of happens. I'm a firm believer and everything happens for a reason and exactly the right time they're supposed to. So if, if, and when these jobs expire or have a, have an end date, then th that time will organically come, I feel. Um, but right now I, I see just a lot of possibilities and I want to grow with where I'm at and I, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, but when we started the podcast, it was 2017, and I was like, Twin, let's start a podcast where we just talk to backstage people. And then yes. sometimes we'd do one a week, and then we both got busy, and we didn't do any. And then the pod the pandemic happened, and we're like, well, I guess we're podcasting again. Yeah. But like, we didn't really have a plan on, like, where we were going or we're going to do 100 episodes or anything. We were just kind of like, hey, let's do this. Okay. Yes. Are you free, are you free Sunday to record? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But like you, we had to like rebrand after a while. Cause in the beginning, like we had no format. We were just kind of like chatting with people yes. and it took quite a few episodes before we were like, you know what, this is kind of like where we want to gear this to like, this is kind of how we want to like find our niche, you know? And so yeah. going back and listening to some of the earlier ones, we we're just like, what the hell were we doing? Right? But it, was, <laughs> it was just talking to people, you know, like that's what yeah. we we're doing. Well, and you so. just gotta like do it. You gotta do it and get in there and figure out what works and get your hands dirty because otherwise you can't, you can never plan something out like this. And I think that's like um, the thing about being in the arts, being creative, having a podcast, having something that is a living thing. You know, you're not just going and putting numbers or having a checklist that you take care of every day. This is like a living, breathing thing, this podcast. And you can't just go, okay, well, this is how we're going to do it and have it go that way. Because as we all know from being in theater, nothing goes <laughs> as planned. Yeah. No. You have a dog that's, on I mean, your lap we... who jumps off and pulls your headphones out Exa and pauses. The exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we said that. We, we, I mean, stage managers, but production managers, you know, like you spend weeks and weeks and weeks coming up with a schedule. You walk into the first rehearsal room and you just throw the schedule away because now yep. it's invalid, you know, because yep. now it's like you said, a living, breathing thing and it, the best laid plans, you know, but you don't get mad at it because you're like, well, oh. this is what we think will happen and it didn't happen. And so now we just move forward. Exactly. And we still make it happen just in a different way than we thought we were going to make it happen. Yes. Yes. And hopefully it'll be better. It always <laughs> is. It's really the only choice we have. Exactly. Very, very true. Well, we're, before Stacey tells me, we're getting close to the end because she does that. Um, <laughs> you said you were thinking about this earlier, but do you have any twin stories? 
in your well, life? Well, okay. I wish I had a better, I wish I had like a particular story or a better thing. I was, I made a list before I got in here. I was like, who are the twins in my life? And I actually am related to twins. I have twins in my bloodline. Um, my cousins are twins. They're about three years older than me on my mom's side. Um, and they're identical twins. And I'm trying to think, oh, and then my best friend's husband is a twin. And his, so his brother, his twin is actually JLo's stylist, which is a fun <laughs> fact. So we always get like behind the scenes look at stuff that like, you know, JLo is doing or whatever. And it's very cool. So he's on, he's very famous. It's also <laughs> that is that, an like, awesome connection. You have a brother-in-law more or less who's a stylist and you do hair and makeup and stuff, but like, does your sister and her husband in the field or anything like that or just kind no of, yep <laughs> no yep just like you know totally opposite and I well and I guess my my twin story because Joey it's Joey is the the twin his brother's name is Rob and he was telling me last night that he before the shutdown he would be walking down the street a lot of time and celebrities would go Rob Rob hey Rob uh good to see you and he'd be like no I'm I'm the twin I'm the twin I'm actually not Rob I didn't I didn't design your clothes or because he's <laughs> a celebrity stylist for like multiple celebrities but was like stopped many times on the streets in New York people thinking that because they look exactly alike um so I that's my that's my twin story that's an awesome story like you're literally getting stuff it's the opposite of what you think you know you're like oh a celebrity and you're like no I, I'm not a celebrity but like thanks for, yes. for calling me out. well oh, okay oh, tell my, my other... brother you said hi <laughs> exactly well so um Joey my 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 twin friend um he and his husband went to a JLo concert uh a couple years ago and JLo texted Rob her stylist and said I see your brother or I saw your brother in the audience and I knew it was him because he looks just like you. So she like during the show was like waving at them and like looking at them and being like, oh, yeah, I know you. And then they've met and like, but it was just cool because it was like she picked him out in the, in the crowd and knew he was there. Because that is so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But she says <laughs> how many people in the crowd jumping around in lights? And all oh, that, I know. And she still he was like pretty, pretty close to the stage. But it also is like this spitting image of this person that you work with every single day, like one of your best friends. And like right there in the audience. And so she just like looked right at them and was like waving and like, hey, I saw your brother in the audience. <laughs> That's gonna be awesome. That's gonna be like such a cool feeling that like all of these famous people know you. <laughs> like, right? I know. Totally a, a talking point. And you're like, yeah, well, you know, JLo yeah. waved at me yesterday and I talked to so and so and so and so talking on the street, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no big deal. Yeah. Stace, I think you need to step up your game because uh <laughs> You're the one who has her face out there more, considering you just got really cool headshots. Uh, I was gonna say, I yes. got a really cool face coming out I here because some metal poles and painted them yellow, and you got headshots. So I think you need <laughs> to step up your game. I, I got headshots in a cemetery because yeah. that's what we do out here. <laughs> <laughs> Greenwood is a very nice cemetery. I oh, so cool. There, so one day I'll go back. It was so, so cool. Andrew. Cool. Well, Twin, next time you come out, I think we need some we promo need some shots for the I mean, podcast. Yeah. You need to look at Tina's webpage because <laughs> our webpage is not nearly the same. <laughs> oh, well, she just told us who she uses. So I think if we just get. Well, my webpage, shout out to JS Web Productions. That's who did my website. They are fabulous. It fabulous, is fabulous. 
it is amazing. I'm like, ooh, we're talking to this person right now? Like, look at that. Thank you. <laughs> Great. Yes, thank you. <laughs> There's some, some jealousy happening right now. Stacey's like, uh, we need to step up our game. And you need to come to New York so we can get headshots together. Because Stacey and I have been talking for years about doing, like, twin Headshots. Photo shoot. I you know, like that. so we could each have our individual ones, but then like we need some together and we just haven't been able to make it work. And then of course COVID happened. So I've had to cancel all my plans in California. But yeah, um, I you know how I plan to New York because I was supposed to be agreeing with Cemetery. You were. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. So one day, someday soon. Yeah. Cindy has we'll, her, we'll her vaccine is scheduled for what, a couple weeks from now? I'm still waiting Week. on our scheduling for vaccine, but hopefully soon. Right. And awesome. then we can take Good. headshots together. It'll be awesome. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you so much, Tina, for coming on and chatting with us. This is, oh my God. I mean, I blast. love doing the podcast because it's so much fun, but it's so awesome to learn about other people's lives and what they did and like how you got here. And now hopefully there'll be someone sitting in Montana being like, I can be on Broadway. Heck yeah. I can do makeup for people. You can do anything your heart desires, even if you have no idea how to do it. <laughs> you will learn. You will all learn. Have to do that. Yep. Yeah. Just say yes and then figure it out when you get there. So true. I do that on a regular basis. Right? Yep. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. This was really fun. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Next we'll time. keep in touch. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more, visit our website at twinstalktheater.podbean.com and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music. You can also interact with us on Facebook or Instagram at twinstalktheater. Title music, Dance Macabre, is provided by Kevin McLeod of IncomTech.com under Creative Commons License 3.0.